Hey friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast Cheatcast episode. Crap, 56, 57. What did I say, Liz? 57. 57. 57? Yep. So we're at episode 57, which is insane. And I am on with Liz Forkin Bohannon. She is an amazing human. She founded with her husband. Maybe she just did it on her own. No offense, no, Ben, but okay, they did it together. Okay, perfect. Um, Seiko Designs. So Seiko Designs, I call it a bridge of hope between mm. women in Uganda who have finished secondary school, which friends is the equivalent of our high school, and they are on their way to university. And sometimes they get derailed because of financial um, responsibilities, uh, lack of financial resources, and gender inequality, which Many of us have felt ourselves here in the U.S., and um, many women across the globe feel it. So before I get down too far there, I would love to have Liz, well, welcome. Well, thank you. That was an amazing introduction and a really beautiful description of Seiko. I'm glad you like, well, she's the one to impress, right? I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad she likes it. Um, so Liz, introduce yourself in your own words to listeners. So my name is Liz Forkin-Bohannon. I am the founder and CEO of Seiko. I am the wife to the most awesome guy ever named Ben and the mom to the second most awesome little guy named Theo. Um, I am a lover of all things people and travel and adventure and pursuing, um, creating a world that's a little bit brighter and a little bit more just for all of its citizens. I love that. That is so, I knew that I needed to have you on. Like as soon as I joined as a Seiko fellow, and we'll get into that a little bit later, I was like emailing, like contact Liz, you know, have Liz speak at your event. I was like, I need to have her on because this vision of Seiko Designs, which came when in your early 20s? Early 20s, yeah, right, right after I graduated from college. It is just so beautiful. So tell everyone, update people if they are not aware of Seiko Designs and kind of how it came to be. Yeah, definitely. So I graduated from university with a journalism degree. Probably felt really similar to a lot of college graduates who have something that they're interested in and even uh, might describe themselves as passionate about, but really struggled to figure out how my passion actually intersected with something that I could do and get paid for. <laughs> um, and so sure. kind of went down that rabbit trail and got really disillusioned and bummed out that my dream job didn't exist or that I couldn't get hired for it. And ended up moving to Uganda, actually, without a job, without really a plan, kind of at some point basically said, like, screw it, if my dream job doesn't exist, I'm just going to follow what I'm interested in and try to ask some hard questions and hopefully uncover some truthful answers and see where that takes me. And so I thought it would take me down this path of journalism and communication and through a long series of twisty, crazy events, I moved to Uganda as a journalist and I came home with a shoe company, <laughs> which was not in the life plan. Um, That's funny. But long story short, I showed up in Uganda and, and was just drinking from a fire hose as it related to just uh, learning and understanding. You know, I had said for years that I was passionate about issues that were facing women and girls that were living in extreme poverty and in conflict and post-conflict zones. Um, but I had a real come to Jesus moment where I was like, I don't know anything about that. 
that really. I've got a lot of head knowledge and a lot of facts, but the reality is I don't have a single relationship with a woman who grew up in extreme poverty or in a conflict zone. Um, if I'm going to keep being quote unquote passionate about this, I need to close that gap and I want to have a community and I want my life to actually be affected by these issues. Um, not kind of be sitting a million miles away, posturing about what needs to be done without actually any insight or understanding or relationships with um, people that were actually being affected by those issues. And so that was really kind of my primary goal when I moved to Uganda. I joke about that I was basically moved to Africa to make friends. <laughs> of course, you can imagine my parents were like, really? Can you just like join a volleyball team or right. something low-key like that? Um, so I showed up in Uganda and just started learning and listening and discovered that um, there was this really big issue, as you kind of um, alluded to, with really academically gifted young women not having the financial or the social support that they needed mm -hmm. to continue on to university. And went down a path um, of wanting to start some sort of charity or nonprofit because to be completely honest, that was my only way of knowing how an American could engage with hard social justice issues in Africa is through kind of a charitable philanthropic model. And the longer I went down that path and the more hard questions I asked and got answers to, uh, the more I realized that that was not the appropriate response for a number of reasons. Everything from kind of long-term macroeconomic considerations about real sustainability and development. And then on the other side of the spectrum, the relational component. I wasn't sure. really comfortable continuing in this dynamic that I discovered when I went to Uganda for the first time that exists um, between um, Africans and Americans. It's really been established over the last, you know, couple decades, this really strong kind of giver receiver dynamic um, that I think is like a little bit dehumanizing, to be honest. Um, and I really kind of came out of that saying, like, this is an issue that I care about. This is a bridge that I want to create. But if I'm going to do that, it's going to be done in a way that is financially and economically sustainable and scalable and that is relationally dignifying. I want to create, like, a team of sisters that may come from different backgrounds and have different skill sets, have different needs, have different um, – uh, things that they bring to the table, but like a real, we kind of sink or swim together type of organization sure. as opposed to an organization where we have like givers and receivers. So long story short, long story, a little bit long, actually. I uh, <laughs> designed a pair of funky strappy sandals. I hated fashion when I was in college. I really had no interest in it and really kind of assumed that if you were into fashion, you were shallow and materialistic. Um, so my life has basically been a process of eating a lot of humble pie um, and realize that the fashion industry is actually there. It's so dark and it's so messed up. Um, but that means there's actually an incredible amount of room for redemption and to really say like, let's reclaim that and let's use this really dark industry to create community and opportunity for women and girls all across the globe. So I designed some sandals, hired a few young women, Mary, Mercy, and Rebecca, and basically promised them that if they made these strappy, funky sandals for the next nine months, um, that they would go to university the following year. And luckily, they agreed. Um, and we're like, okay. And I was like, okay. And came back home to the U.S. with several suitcases full of sandals. And that's how Seiko was born. That is so, that's so awesome. Like I, 
I kind of feel like I should have had popcorn just to listen to that because I, I got, you know, more than what I've heard because I, I know a little bit more now about Seiko than I did three months ago. Right. But it's just really awesome. And I do sense the humility because that's really important. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about and the thing that I had been a little apprehensive about myself joining, and I think sometimes it comes up in conversation with me is, you know, historically, and I think you're shaking your head because you, I think you know where I'm going. We're, we're very in tune <laughs> and we have beautiful red lipstick on y'all just so that, you know, we, we love our red lips. Um, and matching necklaces. And matching necklaces. Exactly. <laughs> um, that's coming out. So this episode will not be on this week. So, but August 1st is the launch, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, so my concern, because I'm actually Nigerian American, right? I was born and raised in the U.S. Um, I have dual citizenship and my parents were born and raised in Nigeria. And so what I have seen over the years, you know, to your point, um, I was raised Mennonite and Mennonites are very, um, they're very similar to Amish, um, very philanthropic, very um, humble people. And they really go low and they do things that are off the grid and they don't want people to see them. You know, they're not doing it for show. They're just doing it because it needs to be done and they feel called or inspired or the intuition, whatever you want to call it in terms of your own faith perspective. They really feel led to participate in humanity um, in the way that it sounds like Liz, you do. And so um, there's a difference in color, right? So um, in terms of race, which we know is a man-made construct, and at the same time, you mentioned, you know, givers and takers and wanting to bring out, elevate everyone so that everyone's on the same level. So it is a mutual res relationship that's based on respect and honor, which I appreciated because sometimes what I've seen is like this savior complex, you know, Americans will go over to a so-called, and I say it in quotes, um, third world nation, really it's a developing nation or a nation that actually is pretty amazing and just needs some assistance in certain respects, just like we do in this country, right? And so someone goes over to save this other group of people. And then there is a power dynamic, um, an indebtedness. So how did you, what, how did that make sense? Because you said that you started with a model that you thought, the only model you knew, which many people feel is the only model, is to go the way of philanthropy. And so what was it that made you decide, no, that's not the best way to go? Yeah. Number one and maybe only thing that really was the difference between me having gone in a very different direction was the people that I surrounded myself with mm. and the questions that I asked. Mm. Um, I feel incredibly grateful that when I showed up in Uganda, Keep in mind, I had no intention of starting anything, definitely sure. not a company, even starting a nonprofit, not on my list of things to do. I went over with this idea that I was a journalist and that I, I had my journalist hat on and I assumed that I would end up in that field. And so the only thing that I cared about was asking questions and really listening to the answers. I meet a lot of people, specifically Americans that go to developing economies and by the time they have hit the soil 
it's like they know what needs to be done. They know the problems. They've got, you know, a solution that they're going to implement. They've already raised funds. They've got a board of directors put together. And at that point, I don't care who you are. You're not asking honest questions because right. you have so much invested in, in a, this idea um, this thing that you've created, I think also there's some identity things that come into play of like, I am a humanitarian. I'm the type of person who starts a nonprofit. I'm That's this, right. I'm that. Where it's like, and I know myself, Chadima, well enough to know I, I have just as many like identity ego issues as the next person. So I think had I showed up in Uganda holding that really tightly, I don't believe that I would have been able to actually sure. probably break out of that. I think what the blessing on my life is that I went saying, I'm, a, I'm an unemployed, you know, no one was paying to be a journalist, but I'm a journalist, which means I'm going to ask hard questions and I'm going to be okay with getting answers that might be different than, than what I assumed because I don't, have, I don't have any stake in making sure that I'm asking questions and I'm leading you and please tell me this thing that I really want to hear. That's um, right. So I surrounded myself with people that I knew would be really honest with me. Um, that were really smart and progressive and um, that I could really learn from. And I really had a posture of, of I'm here to learn as opposed to I'm here to do. And I think that, not I think, that definitely set the trajectory for what Seiko eventually became. I love that. Um, Want to touch back on something that you said um, I recently watched The True Cost, and mm -hmm. you mentioned the darkness of the fashion industry. And I found out that be, right after oil, the oil industry, which degrades our environment, the number two factor in degradation of our environment is the fashion industry and this notion of fast fashion, cheap bargain prices, like flooding the um, economy, or not even the economy, but flooding stores with a lot of garments over a short period of time. So there's always something to purchase. And then when you're done, you discard. And so what happens, and I just found this out more recently because we, so I want to delve into the AGOA and then um, kind of what we were doing in terms of that, like, hoping to affect change and more about the fashion industry. Yeah, definitely. So you're exactly right. Um, not only from an environmental standpoint, but from a human rights standpoint, are the kind of Western world's appetite for more, faster, cheaper um, is literally costing lives because the only way there's no magic fairies that exist in the world that can just, poof, make your clothes for faster and cheaper um, than they were before. The only way to, to make that happen um, is a system that is really negatively impacting the people who are actually making the products and, sure. and their livelihood, their dignity, their lifestyle is not a concern. It doesn't even have a seat at the table. It's how do we continue to create greater and greater um, profit margins? How do we get products to the consumers for fast, as fast and cheap as possible? Um, and largely how that has happened has been this slow process of what I would call uh, for our Harry Potter fans, the cloak of invisibility, right? Where it's like slowly <laughs> over the last, you know, three-ish decades, 
we've had uh, this consumer mentality that's getting more and more and more blind to who makes our products. So 50 years ago, 60 years ago, you might go down the street to a seamstress who sure. um, is going to make a dress for you. And here's the thing. When, when you know someone and when you are looking them in the eye and when you know that they are a human being and that they have a family and that they have their own dreams and wishes and desires, all of a sudden, what happens? For the most part, we treat them like humans. Um, but then that person gets a little bit more removed from us and we don't actually, we don't run into them at church or at the market anymore. And then they get even a little bit more removed and maybe they're not even in our city more. Now they're not even in our own country. Now they literally don't have a face, a name. And as soon as we remove that, I think what happens and what the fashion industry is telling us is basically a, a giant like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't, don't think about that. That's fine. Don't worry about that. Don't think about that. And I truly believe it's that like kind of wall of invisibility that we've completely disconnected this idea of um, what we're actually purchasing being made by a human and that human being either treated with dignity or not. And that's what allows us to just keep consuming at this ravenous rate and not being really like held accountable. It is fascinating to me that when people are donating to a cause or an organization, they ask a lot of questions, right? Sure. Well, what, what's your overhead? How, you know, how much are, of this dollar are you spending on programs? Like all of these different things, which is, you know, rightful. That's like a great empowered thing to do. But it's like, but tell me again why you're demanding this of this charity and yet you would never, right? Um, and that kind of dissonance between the standards that we hold these two types of organizations to is fascinating because I also believe that our purchasing power, I don't know about you, but I spend a lot more money on myself than I do donate to charity, right? So That's it's right. like my actual dollar power as a consumer um, is a lot stronger than my dollar power as a philanthropist. And right. so really kind of taking back and saying like, no, we, we have to apply those same principles and we should be consumers whose purchases actually align with what we believe about the world. Um, and for me, what I believe about the world is that every person was created and is a beautiful creation. And as a, as a, a child of the same world that we, uh, that I, I want to participate in a world where I'm treating people with basic dignity and respect, whether that's in a face-to-face -face engagement or whether that's through commerce. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, I made a decision even before I found out more, uh, two and a half years it's been since I've purchased clothing because wow. yeah, any clothing, any clothing, if, if it was, um, I did get a couple of things because I made an investment into a Kickstarter campaign. And so the reward was like t-shirts for family and a sweatshirt, you know, a sweatshirt and yeah. a t-shirt for me. But beyond that, um, and I don't really count that because it was really for the donation. It was, um, what was it called? Um, We're all immigrants um, mm -hmm. campaign, you know, um, in November of 2016. I don't know if anyone remembers that month. <laughs> and so I, wa I wanted to, you know, um, come together because there was so much going on, you know, and just remind ourselves that we all come from somewhere unless you're a native person, you know, I love um, that. but I also didn't want to contribute to, and I didn't even know 
at the time. I just didn't want to, I am not a millionaire yet. And so I did not want to continue making other people millionaires, billionaires when I hadn't yet achieved my first million. Um, and it didn't make sense to me. And then now I think about it after thinking about the fast fashion and how I've contributed because I don't know where my forever 21 clothes are. Zara, h and I, I have no idea where that stuff is anymore. Um, but now I know, so I have an opportunity to make a different choice. You know, this is not to knock anyone that goes to those places. Please do what makes sense for you today. You know, you may find that you change over time. You may find that you don't. But um, speaking of that, Seiko. So one thing I love about it is I love the mission, right? Empowering women, both here and in Uganda. But also, um, sometimes you can, to the point of um, donating, right? You can donate to a cause and you see that the stuff is trash and you're like, you know what? That's okay. Just I'll write a check. You can just do, I don't really need anything, right? That is not what is happening at Seiko. <laughs> I mean, friends, the leather is like butter is what I say, you know, it's so amazing and everything's well-crafted and you get a nice tag attached to your garment or attached to your jewelry or handbag that says, or sandals, um, that says who it was made by and it's made by love and it'll say love so-and-so, um, which is a beautiful thing that goes to your point, Liz, about, um, knowing who made your stuff. So, Wanted to speak to in the last little bit that we have to how the items are actually made because one mm. of my friends, one of my best friends, um, I call her, we call each other sister wife. She is vegan and has been for a long time. And I love her because she doesn't push that on me and I don't push, you know, we have so many things in common that that there's mutual respect, right? Yeah. And so she actually saw the safari leather bucket bag in person. And she said, I may have to take a look at this. <laughs> so can you speak to how Seiko Designs utilizes the entire animal, how the leather is produced and made in a way that honors and um, what anyone that maybe is vegan or concerned about that, rightfully so, it's a valid concern, um, how you know, just enlighten us. Yes, definitely. You know, when I set out to make Seiko, um, to start Seiko, remember everything kind of started with our impact. I knew that I wanted to employ women. I wanted to create jobs. I wanted to do something that would help bridge the gap both financially and um, socially between high school and university. And then everything else kind of, I kind of worked backwards. Um, and one of the questions that I asked myself was, what can we make here? You know, what is available in the local economy? What, um, what's already happening? What are kind of the ripple effects that we could make in the economy by producing a certain product or doing a certain service or really kind of, I really reversed engineered everything about Seiko to kind of go back to the impact. And so to your point of, charity products, quote unquote, man, I would really just, it's, that's the worst. It's just kind of like, there are nonprofits that I love and adore and financially and, and I love and support because they're excellent nonprofits. 
IJM is my favorite, if anybody's wondering. They're excellent. Mm. They do amazing things. Guess what? I don't need a t-shirt. I don't need a bracelet. I don't need a, a high-end bag made out of bottle caps. Like, you go do your <laughs> phenomenal work. Take my money. Go do your thing. Okay? Right. On the other hand, I have the brands that I love that I, I want to buy product from because it's well-made, because it looks great, because it's beautiful, and hopefully because it's ethically produced. Um, but yes, I, from the beginning have said, this isn't gonna, I want to be all in on one or the other. I don't want to sit in this in-between ground where it's like, Oh, buy this product, but you're really donating and getting kind of a gift from us. Um, if you're going to buy our product, my number one concern for our customers is that they love the product that they buy the bag because the leather's like butter, because it fits great, because it's super unique, or that they you know, love how versatile it is. Whatever the reason is, I don't believe what we're doing will have a long-term positive impact if we can't compete in the marketplace that we've right. chosen, which is fashion and which is product. So the way that I phrase that is said, we're a product-led company. Even though our mission is the heart of what we're doing, I want people to engage first and foremost with our product and love that. And out of a love for that, know that that will, you know, continue to grow. So yes, we are, we are maniacal when it comes to, um, our product quality and it being beautiful and something that women love to your point about materials. Um, I'm not sure how much your, uh, listener base knows about the East African region, but levels, the types of established industries are relatively limited. Agriculture is basically the number one industry in, in the entire region. You've got coffee and, and it, you know, the, the crops vary from country to country. Sure. But livestock agriculture is an incredibly important part of the East African economy. And it's very different than the American agricultural industry. There are no factory farms in Uganda. A hundred percent of the leather that we're getting from Uganda and Kenya is coming from essentially family-owned farmers, um, small to medium-sized farms. Sometimes it's subsistence farmers that literally their entire family and livelihood depends on the you know ten head of cattle that they have and that they're raising, and that when the time comes, they will sell into the marketplace primarily for food for meat, um, and then and leather is a byproduct of that industry. Um, I'm like you. I definitely respect um, people who have chosen the vegan lifestyle and think that, you know, for health reasons and for ethical reasons in a certain context, sure. there's actually a, a really strong um, argument for that. But the context of the world that we're working in um, is actually, it's a really important part of the local economy. And to not engage in that um, isn't really helping anybody. Um, and not to mention the animals are treated in a way that is a lot more, I would say, consistent with what I believe about uh, how animals in creation should be treated. And that's not to say that at some point they aren't killed, but through the course of their life that they're actually treated. I mean, y'all, I was hiking in Ethiopia um, a while back in rural, rural Ethiopia. And I don't think we, like, people sleep. There is one room. And there is a side of the room for the livestock and there is a side of the room for the family, right? Like that is a whole nother level of like sure. these animals are livelihood and they, and, and, and because of that, there's a level of just like respect, um, 
that is so vastly different than when we see images from, you know, massive corporate factory right. farms. If that's where we were sourcing our leather from, I don't know that I could really stand behind that. Um, but that it's just a completely different economic sure. and cultural context. And I feel really, really, really proud and happy to support um, those farmers who are dedicating their lives to agriculture and to their livestock and to be able to participate in increasing the value of their livestock because they're then they're able to sell literally every part of the cow. So they're selling the meat, they're selling the horn to usually to Seiko, they're selling them our skin. Um, I feel really proud to be able to participate in that and to be able to increase the value for those farmers. Yeah. You know, and as I've told people about Seiko, some of my friends who are vegan have understood. And, you know, one thing that has made me respect them even more is they've put value on human life, you know, and the empowerment of women over their own, you know, over the animal. And not to say I'm in full agreement with you. I think creation is creation and should be treated with respect, you know, so I wouldn't want to see some of what I've seen in some of these documentaries that many of us have, have watched just to gain a better understanding of things. Um, so that people are, people are treated with respect, human, um, respect and dignity, you know, and animals are also treated with the same respect. Um, yeah, and absolutely. Dignity. And then there's also the, the environmental, you know, I see a lot of people that can we please talk about the phrase vegan leather? Also? That's a, yes, totally. I'm glad you vegan brought it leather. up. It's a very, it's a very clever phrase for whoever came up with the phrase vegan leather. It's synthetic chemicals that have been bonded together in order to look like leather. One, it's entirely, it's synthetic and most versions of leather, which has been rebranded as vegan leather is incredibly toxic and harmful for the environment. It also doesn't biodegrade. So it'll live in a landfill for hundreds and hundreds of years. Whereas leather, one is going to last about 10 times longer than that synthetic. And you know, you've seen our products. I mean, I've been wearing Seiko products for eight years now sure. that wear beautifully, that hold up, you know, they're incredibly durable. And you composed because it's uh, because it's a natural substance and material as opposed to a pure synthetic. So it's there's layers, you know, sure. to everything. And again, I definitely uh, I respect people's decisions who just say I'm going to opt out altogether. But it is, sure. I think, important to take um, in into consideration the context, whether that's economic or social or environmental. Um, that specific products where they're coming from, um, and like I said, at Seiko, I'm really I'm really proud to be able to support the farmers that we support in um, buying our hides from. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad that you delved into that a little bit more because it is important to look at things in context and just you know validate that everyone has. Um, an opinion, you know, and everyone has a perspective and there's no one that's better or less. It's just, you know, kind of looking at the entire picture. So is there anything else? So how do people get their hands on Seiko? Well, that's my favorite question <laughs> because that's one of my favorite parts of our business. Um, well, about two years ago, 
Ben and I were kind of sitting back and dreaming and scheming about Seiko and realized that we had kind of, you know, what we talk about is hijacking the traditional fashion model, the traditional um, manufacturing and production model and saying, like, we don't want to make our producers completely invisible so that we can take advantage of them and have our customers not ask us about that. We actually want to take our producers and really put them in the center of the story. And not only should you know what country it's made in, but you should know who made it and how mm -hmm. they were treated and maybe even her hopes and dreams and vision for a brighter future. And so we were doing all of this kind of um, mission-oriented work on the production manufacturing side of our business and then really running like a pretty plain, you know, like traditional um, retail company on on the U.S. side of our business. And so we, we really kind of started asking this question of like, well, what if, what if we kind of hijacked the retail model? Um, you know, there are women in the U.S. that the need for women in the U.S. is definitely different than the need for women in Uganda. Not saying that there isn't overlap, but the main need that we heard in Uganda was, um, you know, massive gender disparity, lack of financial opportunity, lack of social support to go on to university and become leaders in their community. But man, here in the U.S., we started hearing something that wasn't that much different, right? Women who were coming out of university or coming out of a stage where they had, you know, little kids and they had quit their careers to focus on being at home with their kids. And they're asking a similar question that came down to two things, community and financial opportunity. Isn't that fascinating? Mm -hmm. We have women here in the US that are saying the same thing. Like, I feel like I have to make a choice between pursuing a career or being a mom. I feel like I have to make a choice between working and just like slogging away to make someone rich richer or doing something that I'm passionate about and that I actually believe in and that I care about but not actually making money from the deal. Um, and so there was kind of all these like dichotomies and choices that we were hearing just from our like customers and people that we were in community with. And we thought, well, this is pretty interesting. What if, what if we could solve both sides of those equations, kind of the U.S. retail side and the production side, if we could use both of those models to create community and opportunity for women in the in Uganda through our work study program and women in the US through our retail program, which is called the Seiko Fellows Program. And so about two years ago, we kind of risked it all and decided that we were going to completely pivot away from traditional wholesale and say, we want to sell our products through bright and brave and bold women who are aligned with their vision of what they want the world to look like, who believe that all girls um, are uh, worthy of education and dignity and opportunity. And that not only, and, and we're not asking you to um, volunteer, by the way, we want you to be paid and we want you know, if, if you're bringing stuff to the table in the same way that we believe this about our team in Uganda, like we want you to, to benefit financially from all of your work and your creativity and your effort. Um, and so that is how the Seiko Fellows Program is born. So we are in some ways kind of a traditional direct sales company in kind of the model of, of how it works. We have independent, um, you know, sellers essentially all over the country that, sell the product either in person at a trunk show or through their online platforms. Um, but I would say per our earlier offline conversation, we in a lot of ways feel like we're kind of rewriting the rules for direct sales and for what that looks like and how it can be done. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's, 
It's definitely great. So friends, just a quick blur before I let Liz go, because it's about that time. Um, so the women in Uganda, so Seiko Fellows, which is, I'm, I mean, I'm so, I, I don't even have enough words to say how grateful and how honored and just so happy um, that the divine allowed my path to cross um, Seiko Designs Path, right? And um, so what we do is that, like I mentioned, so the women are required to save 50%, minimum 50% of their earnings. And from there, and some save up to 80%, from there, Seiko Designs, during this nine-month period that they are in internship, right? They're fed, they live together, they're in community together, and they support one another socially and emotionally. Um, all of that good stuff, spiritually, I would imagine, they get um, their earnings doubled in matching funds from Seiko Designs. And then Seiko Fellows slash stylists, some of us are stylists as well. We get to have live trunk shows. We get to do stuff with our online community. And from there, we get to surprise them possibly with a bonus scholarship at the end of the year based on how well things go. So it's just a really awesome program. Um, and thank you, Liz. Thank you for spending the last hour with me. I so appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And one quick anecdote about the Soul yes. Sister Scholarship. What I love about the mutuality, I think that this is such a beautiful illustration. I took 10 Seiko Fellows to mm. Uganda a few months ago for the trip of a lifetime. It was amazing. And we were talking about our Soul Sister Scholarship program with our team in Uganda and kind of how it works and how the badge system works and all of that stuff. And I, I think my assumption would be that the majority of our Ugandan team members' questions would be about their scholarship. How does it affect them? When do they get to access them? All of that. First question, first hand shoots up in the air. And we're like, okay, I think it was Sharon. I'm pretty sure. I'm like, Sharon, okay, do you have a question about it? She goes, yeah, I have a question. Well, what about the fellows? If she's out there working her butt off, like selling product, what does she get out of it? And that question to me was maybe the most beautiful. It was literally music to my ears. And we were able to explain not only is every dollar that she's um, generating in, in sales contributing to your scholarship fund, she's actually earning a commission off of that as well. So the more she sells, the more money she makes for herself mm -hmm. and for her education and for her family. And literally the room just erupted in cheers. There was just the sense of like, okay, okay, that's awesome. Go get it, girl. Be a big boss. Make that's a right. lot of dollars. You're going to like help out yourself. You're helping me out. And it was, that was this moment of just like, that was sisterhood, right? Of just That's like, there's right. no giver and receiver. It's like, we're in it together. We sink or swim together. There's this sense of kind of a rising tide and we've got each other's backs, right? That's like right. not only are we looking out for our sisters in Uganda, making sure that they have opportunity and access to education and financial um, opportunity, but our team in Uganda is freaking looking out for fellows here in the US. And That's want, right. they want to make sure that they're being treated well, that they're earning money, that they're able to take care of their babies and their families and pursue their dreams. And that moment to me was just like literally fireworks in my heart went off because that is really the spirit of, of what we're trying to do is just to, to create a global sisterhood of women that are for each other, that show up for one another, mm -hmm. that come to the table, that fight for one another, that cheer each other on. Um, and that's what's happening with the fellows program. 
That is awesome. That's so cool. I love that. I'm going to Uganda next year. That's my naming it and claiming it. So that's that's happening. We're going to hang out under the mango tree. All right. So I got to let Liz go. But before I do, um, I'm going to read a story out of, I'll just do one today, out of Humans of New York. And so it is, uh, looks to be a mom and her son. And she says he had his first birthday yesterday. So he goes crazy every time he hears, every time he hears the happy birthday song. And then the person says, let's see it. So I love it. I'll show you Liz. Cause you can, maybe you can see. Oh this. my gosh. Right. <laughs> so cute. Theo's really cute too. Y'all. And he's in that. He's in the fall winter catalog, um, just an FYI. Hey so, right, yeah. well, totally. Chidina, thank you so much for yes. having me and for creating this beautiful space for people to come together and have conversations. And to anyone who's listening, I would love to get to know you. Feel free to follow me on social, um, on Instagram. I'm just at Liz Bohannon um, and reach out. But I'm really grateful for amazing, bright spirits like you and cannot be more honored and excited that you, um, that I get to build Seiko alongside of you. So you are so sweet. Thank you so much. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making the time. I know you're super slammed right now and it's awesome, um, to come on. I really, really appreciate it. It's a fun way to spend my afternoon. All right. So Hold on one second before oh, you jump one off. Second. Yeah, one second. So I honor the place within you where the entire universe oh. resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I'm in that place in me, there is only one of us. So friends, stay grateful. Thank you, Liz, again. I will catch you up on how to follow her in the show notes. Um, and until next time, friends, namaste. Namaste.